Welcome to the Courage is a Skill podcast, where we talk to main people about fear. Where has it helped us? Where has it held us back? And what role does fear play in our lives? We are working to demystify fear through the power of conversation and community. Courage is a skill. Let's build it together. This episode is brought to you by Brave Fitness. Brave Fitness is a training system that extends beyond the gym and into other areas of life. We are working to strengthen our bodies and our minds while building a social community like no other. Brave Fitness is a program that we at Courage is a Skill created, and you can find Brave Fitness on the Apple App Store or at courageisaskill.com. We are at Courage is a Skill on Insta and Twitter as well. This episode is also sponsored by Sea Change Yoga. Sea Change Yoga brings scientifically proven trauma-informed yoga and meditation to people unable to access the powerful benefits of this practice. Teaching 24 weekly classes to people in correctional facilities, recovery centers, transitional housing, and also offering free classes to veterans. Because yoga is for everybody, yoga heals, and all people deserve the opportunity to find balance of mind and body. Visit seatchangeyoga.org to learn more. Sea Change Yoga, supporting the healing process for people who have been affected by trauma. This episode of Courage is a Skill features a close friend of mine who I've shared some pretty wild adventures with, some of which we'll get into on the show. Christopher Terrett is a musician, Tai Chi practitioner, and one of those powerful souls who really defies labels and can be best known by seeking him out in the Bayside neighborhood of Portland, Maine, and spending some time surrounded by his warm, thoughtful, and one-of-a-kind energy. And if you want to know more about Chris after listening to the episode, that's exactly what you'll have to do, as Christopher Terrett cannot be found on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, or anywhere on the internet. Although we will try to dig up some links to some of his incredible music, both as a solo performer and with the band's company and most recently Snakes. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Christopher Terrett. Chris, man, I could not be more excited to have you on the show, dude. When, when I came up with the idea for the thing, I said, I gotta talk to him. I gotta talk to Chris on the air, in front of the machines, because we've had so many amazing conversations about fear, life, everything. Yes, we have. Yeah. Uh, so it's gonna be a wild ride. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so, Christopher Terrett, um, what should off the get people know about you before we even get into the real, like, the fear combo? Yeah. Um, well. That's it's interesting because I asked you before we started what is my what are you portraying me as because I don't really have exactly I'm so I'm a musician and I'm also a practitioner of Tai Chi I have a Taoist practice that I you know pursue um, I am a, a union steward um, primarily I'm a husband and a father that's what I think is my main job and right now in my life. Um, so that's that's the beginning, you know? and you know I can't say enough. You know, hopefully the people on the on the show as it evolves, they're going to see that people. You know, we have yeah. labels all over the place. You yeah. know, we do we work in so many different realms, all of us. Yeah. So Maine people, people are people who ended up in Maine. Both of you and both of us kind of ended up in Maine. Yep. And people seem to kind of end up in Portland, Maine. Sure. Which yeah. Which is a really definitely. interesting thing. We could probably yeah. even vibe on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But just just as a, as a person, um, I came to know you through. 
We're working some crazy job together. Yes, we were. We've done some crazy stuff, dude. <laughs> yes, we have. We have done some crazy stuff. Yeah, we can get into it. We could probably have a second podcast called Crazy Stuff that Chris, that and, David Chris and David have done. Um, like driving around with one crutch looking for a dumpster. Where <laughs> 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 I can tell this is going to be an edit-heavy episode. <laughs> All you're going to hear is like those really like um, janky transitions. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know if we should have said that. I forgot about that time. Yeah. <laughs> we found it at, at Trader Joe's. Hmm. The dumpster? Yeah, we found it at Trader Joe's. Huh. At a busy busy afternoon with like a lot of onlookers. Wow. Man. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I came to know you through all that craziness. Mm-hmm. And then I got really enamored with your music. Mm. And I'll admit an embarrassing moment that I feel fear to admit. Go for it. You know, I used to... So I, I don't drink, don't do any chem for maybe eight years now. Yeah. It's a kind of big part of my lifestyle. But back in the day, I used to drink, and that's what stopped me from continuing to do so. Yeah. And I used to show up at your shows, mm-hmm. and I would, like, belligerently request a cover song. Like, you would sing these, like, eight, like, handcrafted masterpiece tales, mm. and I would, like, be like, Shady Grove, or something <laughs> that was a traditional that you'd done. Right. Uh, maybe because it stuck in my head, because I was just learning, I think, about the nuances of songcraft. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget seeing you play at Space Gallery. Um, and the whole night was like magic and the whole set because you were somebody I knew in another realm and I knew you from the as a co-worker yeah and I saw you walk up on this stage and you had such a calm presence that kind of sent a calm over the entire audience mm. and everybody focused in and leaned in and you kind of pulled them in really gently mm-hmm. and then just blew everybody away with these amazing songs and I thought wow Thank you. he's incredible Thank you. Um, and got into your your music Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, so I knew you first as a musician and then uh, with all these amazing different mm-hmm. hats. What, when did you start getting into music as, a, as wanting to create it and wanting to be an artist? Um, so as a kid, I played music because my parents, you know, sort of, you know, they gave me violin lessons starting at the age of three, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, and I did that for my childhood. And then I quit when I was like a young adolescent. And then I started meeting some people um, who played, you know, who were starting to play in bands, like high school bands. Okay. And, and it was um, an era of punk rock, you know. And so I started going down into the basement of a friend's house after school in the afternoon. And, you know, and it was like <clears throat> this this wonderful world that opened up of, of a way to interact with other people. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was visceral and emotional and um, just really fun and beautiful. And so I played in punk bands for a while. And then, you know, I sort of had a realization at some point that um, I really loved some of the um, song craft music that I had heard when I was a kid, you know, Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and all that stuff. Um, so I kind of gravitated back to that. Who were the influencers when you went down in that basement for the first time that made everything feel so visceral? Who were you listening to? Who were the artists that influenced that, that initial early stage? Yeah, in that era, you know, it was like the Sex Pistols, the Clash, oh, yeah. Black Flag, you know. Yeah, a lot of high yeah, energy, yeah. you know. And I was, was listening to bands that no one has, has ever heard of, but in that era they were very important, you know. The, right. I went to see Bad Brains. That was one of the first punk rock shows I went to. You put me on to Bad Brains. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they got maced, and it was just—it was a crazy, it was a wild scene back then. Everything was different then, you know, yeah. than it is now. Um, mm-hmm. But it was an exciting time. And then, so the transition to the the songcraft stuff, the Dylans and the mm-hmm. Collins. What was it like for you? Was it integrated at first, or was it? Um... Well, it actually—it was. I have to give credit where credit is due to Beck. Um, Beck, yeah, and he's yeah, a formative who, dude. Right, Amazing. and Pioneer. you know, 
I don't listen to any of the music he's made in the last, like, I don't know how long. But um, at that time, he was one of the first people from that sort of punk rock um, subculture that was drawing the connection to earlier American oh, folk music. Yeah, and yeah. so he came out with this album, One Foot in the Grave, that I was just crazy about. One Foot in the Grave, man. Yeah. That record was, yeah. was it 24 songs or something. It was pivotal, like oh, super important. What an incredible piece of music. So, so, like, I looked at that and I was like, oh, yeah. Like, and I remembered, you know, the Woody Guthrie that I grew up listening to and stuff like that. And then I was like, yeah, I should write songs. Actually, also, there was a guy that I was friends with who I was playing in bands with who was older than me, and he was he was writing songs on the acoustic guitar and singing them, and he was, like, you know, the guy that I thought was, like, the coolest guy in the world, so I wanted to be like him. Sure. Oh, <laughs> man, yeah. yeah. Was he a performer out in, is this in Baltimore? In Baltimore, yeah. He was he was a drummer, um, but he also did his own thing solo, um, yeah, and, and he, was a, he was a huge influence on me. What was your first band? Uh, the first band I was in didn't even have a name. It was just the, the group of us that got together in that basement. And then we started playing shows around town a little bit. And it was so casual and so crazy that we didn't even have a name. You know what I mean? We were listening to like stuff like, you know, Parliament Funkadelic and Fishbone and things like that, you know, and, and we had this like big, you know, big vision, you know, um, but then what was the vision for what, what, what at that time did you, did you anticipate? Music being. So I've always had this vision in my head um, of like music as a center of community. You know what I mean? And like a, a open and shifting community um, that brings together people in, in different ways. And, and it's like a sort of an alternate space. Like, you know, it's like we think about, you know, the, the, the term underground. People talk about underground music, you know. And if you think about it as, as a very literal designation and image, you know, I've always imagined like this underground world separate from this world that we're doing our thing in from day to day. And I've always wanted to be in that underground yeah. world and spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, the vision that I had then. Well, it's amazing, too, because I think some of the best um, venues here in Portland, some aren't, aren't here anymore. Yeah. But all of the most of the places I've seen you perform in had that feel. Yeah. I remember the one place, I won't, um, I won't say because I don't want to give them, I mean, it's a great place. Mm -hmm. I just remember we were all kind of like the, like, it was, it was paint fumes or it was like hot glue fumes mm. from it being a working shop yeah. we're still kind of getting everybody <laughs> looped you know because it was like they just shut down the day yeah. and everybody was just like wow this is yeah. it, it, it's awesome yeah. but it, it felt just like that like everyone would come out of their regular lives and go to this kind of strange place yeah. to see people be themselves in very powerful ways I forget yeah. who I think it was some uh, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth mm -hmm. who said like people pay to see people believe in themselves yeah. And I always thought that was such a powerful yeah. quote. Mm -hmm. You see somebody on stage and they're they're fully there yeah. in front of somebody else. And yeah. You you you're mesmerized. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What role did fear play as an early performer? What, do you remember moments where you you know you were going to perform in front of people? Yeah. Um, that fear either helped or hindered. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think I was very fortunate that the venues that I was performing in when I first started performing were really easy because they were people's basements and they were garages and it wasn't like going up on a big stage in front of a whole lot of people um but there is definitely a fear to performing no matter what you know there's just a fear that's that's an aspect to it even now i've performed like so many times in my life but even still to this day i don't feel like nervous when i walk on a stage but 
on the day leading up to a performance, my body feels different than it does on another day. Right. And I can tell that even if it's not fear, like I have like a, a thoughtful, analytical, rational fear, I don't. But there's a thing happening in my body that, mm-hmm. you know, is, is just, it's just a part of, part of the deal. But, and maybe it's a part of what I enjoy about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, you know it's an interesting thing. When we work with um, the Brave program and stuff and the stuff that we're doing around managing fear, like, mm-hmm. you remember when we ended up in that VR lab fairly recently? Yeah. And it would show, <clears throat> I'd be in different environments, we'd be crossing a narrow traverse, narrow bridge, or interacting with an angry dog. And one of the things we're always asking is, you know, what is the requisite fear response? Mm. What is the requisite fear response that lets you perform in a high-stress environment? Yeah. Like, you need that sympathetic tune-on or turn-in, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and how important that is to still maintain. I remember in a gym environment, people would come in and it was new, and they'd get this big kind of, like, cortisol hit. Yeah. Getting them ready for a stressor. Yeah. And then it got old, and they didn't get that hit. Yeah. And it's that idea that we need that hit, right? Yeah. Because it's showing definitely. us that we're in live environments. Yeah. 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 And that's part of what makes it exciting watching a performer, too. You see them in that altered state. You yeah. Know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's that's really beautifully said. Mm-hmm. So for, so transition from Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about the music scene in Baltimore that you were part of and then how it transitioned, because you made it out to Brooklyn next, right? Yeah. So in Baltimore, you know, it was this world of punk rock, and, um, you know, we played you know, talk about these underground places that we played most often at this place called The Loft that was a warehouse in, in West Baltimore and like the worst neighborhood in, on the East Coast, you might say. West you know Baltimore, what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was rough. And, um, and it was this warehouse that was totally unmarked. You know, you'd walk in graffiti everywhere, people with mohawks, that kind of scene. And then by the time I made it to New York, um, it was weird because the, you know, um, instead of being a, a strange subculture that was really separate from the dominant culture, it was like the dominant culture had sort of become that alternative yeah. subculture, and it and and it took a lot of navigating to figure out how to how to handle that. Really. So this is what year in New York, and what what borough, what area? This is- uh, I was I moved to New York in '99 or 2000, and I was living in Brooklyn um, in Bushwick. Um, yeah. So it was it was at the beginning of the real really the gentrification of Brooklyn. Yeah. What did that feel like? What what, did, what was the neighborhood like when you got there? Yeah. So Bushwick when I got there was there was zero signs of gentrification, zero. Um when I moved there and I got I got mugged, you know, yeah, a couple yeah. times. Um you know, and it was it was a rough rough part of town, but um it was really cool in so many ways and um the the experience of gentrification was was painful emotionally for me because it's like you feel like you're um part of a process that you don't want to happen like me living in that neighborhood was contributing to um people getting displaced and and stuff like that that i didn't like and at the time i was working as a bike messenger i'd be riding around in manhattan and i'd go into these real fancy office buildings and the people who i'd give the packages to would be like hey man like like they they treat me like we're part of the same cool you know universe and in my mind it's like there's a class distinction here there's and it was very confusing still remains confusing to Mm -hmm. me to this day yeah sure i I almost want to dive to the left real quick and talk about the fear of being a bike messenger yeah it's like were you right what is it 
Tell me about your bike. So just give me like give us a glimpse of like the life of a bike messenger because that's some cool stuff, dude, and some probably really really good stories that come out of yeah. It was when I go back there now, I'm like I can't believe I did that. That was really dumb. (laughs) We were just in New York recently, just watching you know flying down the streets. I never ever wore a helmet. I remember one day I tried wearing a helmet and it lasted about an hour and I threw it in the garbage. (laughs) And um, so I didn't wear a helmet. I was riding all up and down. You know, you know, I'd hold onto trucks so that it would pull me Mm -hmm. and like all this kind of stuff and. I was very fortunate that I didn't get in any accidents or anything. I, you know, I had a couple close calls and stuff, but, um, yeah, there's, there's, it's a scary, scary thing, you know, going at the, those kind of speeds, that kind of traffic, you know. What? I, let, let's go there for a sec in terms of fear a, a little bit deeper as a bike messenger. So how'd you get started being a bike messenger? Mm-hmm. When did you realize it was scary as shit? And, <laughs> and how did, when, and how soon did that scary as shit become normal? Like, like um, just Monday, you know, or Wednesday. I tried it once and um, for a day because I was I, I had this job. I quit my job. I was like, what am I going to do? And yeah. bike messenger is one of those things you can just walk right into. It. You know, you, <laughs> you don't. There's no the qualifications. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So I did it for a day and it was scary. And my legs, like I, I at that point didn't exercise at all. You know, so you smoked had that cigarettes. Like, you know, like, demand, yeah. yeah. And so it was. I was like, geez, I can't do this. You know. And then I was living with a friend of mine who was in the band, and um, I was I was sort of looking for what am I going to do for a job, and I said something like maybe I'll try bike messengering again, and he's like, oh, I thought you just couldn't cut the mustard on that, uh. and I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't accept that. I couldn't I couldn't accept that that was the end of that. So I was like, I'm going to do it no matter what, you know. How yeah. long were you bike messenger? Uh, off and on for. Three or four years, something like that. Oh wow! I didn't realize it was that long. It's been. Yeah. Oh, and what were you doing musically at this at the, at that time? When you I was bike I was playing in a band called Company, and I was also playing <clears> in a <throat> duo that was um, me and my friend Stephanie. We were called Chris and Stephanie. So, if for anybody listening, Company is an amazing band, and if you get a chance to go into a library mm-hmm. and get a copy of Chris and Stephanie predicted the whole Civil War, that's the name of it. Yeah. Gotta get it. You gotta get it. You gotta put it on repeat for the better part of a year. Uh-huh. That is a phenomenal CD, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and Company is one of my one of my favorite bands. For really, for anybody listening, work to we'll, we'll put some links on that. Um, <laughs> I only laugh and really only laughing because I was thinking, where, where is the best way to find Company right now? Because you and I have different vibes around tech and stuff like that. So I'm yeah. wondering, just kind of where can folks go? So for Company, um, I honestly do not know. That, that's why I ask, because it's, it's kind of, it's mysterious and beautiful to me. And yeah. I think a lot of things that are mysterious, beautiful, and powerful are hard to find. Yeah. And often hard to find on purpose, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So, so with company, um, you know, company's a group effort. And I think somebody else has, has um, put up a website. So there might be one out there. But for me, I really like it when things are hard to find. And yeah. I yeah. really yeah. like um, things being mysterious. And I, <clears throat> and, um, you know, not going out of your way to be mysterious for its own sake, but right. you know, for me, it's like I play music. I'm not. I if somebody else wants to promote it, that's okay. Right. But that's not what I do. Right. You know, it's yeah. just not what I do. And then, again, that's why I laughed on cameras. I was getting ready to say like, find company at Twitter, yeah, at company <laughs> at Instagram, and I, I, I racked my brain for all of the places, yeah, and I laughed because right. I said I actually don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but if anybody's interested, you find can somebody and ask them. Yeah. You know find somebody. I mean? <laughs> find someone and ask them. Find, find someone who's cool. And yes. ask them. And you could even, you know, if anybody, you could even listen to Company by listening to this podcast because Company is the opening music yeah. for the whole thing, which yeah. we're really honored yeah. by. And that particular song, which you only hear a snippet of, First Nightmare, is one of my favorite songs. 
Thank what, you. Let's dig into that a minute, um, mm-hmm. even though folks might not hear it. Um, First Nightmare. Mm-hmm. What got you to write that? Because that's a really amazing, incredible song just about fear, right, and so many things. Yeah, it's, it was, so I was working on a job. I'm an electrician. I was working in, on a construction site, and I was working with this guy who had just moved down from uh, way northern Maine. French-speaking guy. And for the audience, so you're in Maine at this point, right? So now yes. we're jumping a bit. Right, right, right. You've right. from Brooklyn. I'm living you in moved Portland. moved up to Maine. You and I had met at this point. Yep, that's right. And um, so this guy, he, he, you know, he spoke with a French accent. And um, he, um, he, it was like there's the stresses that come with being the foreman on a construction site. But every time someone would come to him with something, he would be like, well, this is not my first nightmare. Ah, <laughs> yeah. wow. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's, I got to steal that one. You that's know? a really good line. So I stole the line. And then I thought back to there's this thing that used to happen to me when I was a kid where um, it happened when I was getting sick that I would be like, getting ready to fall asleep and I would have this feeling this sensation yeah. of like um, you know something sharp and like an increasing pressure from this something sharp and and like a sensation in the mind of like increasing speed and like things going crazy right and um, you know actually I think I, I still had that feeling happen to me from time to time until I started doing Tai Chi and now it's, it's been gone for a while but um, so we'll I jump there later in the episode too about the transition to Tai Chi because I know that's been sure. a really powerful thing for um, me, yeah. powerful yeah. form of practice. Yeah, um, and that that song "First Nightmare" really captures a lot of the things you talked about. This feeling of pressure. Yeah, um, every time, anytime. If you live in Portland, you should like be at least close to be able to drive to it. Yeah, if you're listening to the show talking to Maine people about fear, yeah. you could probably find Chris. That's right. I was right? thinking when we were <laughs> saying, like, where are, you gonna find, where are you going to find the stuff on the internet? <laughs> it's like, look, I, I get the at, internet. Go yeah. to the east end of Portland, Maine, and you'll find me. Yeah, if you, you know? can't find Chris, man, you're not trying hard enough. I find exactly. Chris almost every oh, night. Yeah. We bump into each other more than any human being that I run into yeah, at any crazy place. Yeah. yeah. I, so my lifestyle right now, I live on the east end of Portland. Mm. I work on the east end of Portland, and I do my grocery shopping there. It's like a little village for me that I don't yeah, leave yeah, yeah. much. And, you know, I, I'm really um, centered there, and you can find me there easily. I love it. Um, and that's a challenge for listeners. Go find. And Chris is like, I never should have done that podcast. People kept finding me. My little village was ruined. It was peaceful. It was a sanctuary. Now people are just like, I got nah, him. No, nah, man. Found come him. find me. Come find me. So, so music scene from transitioning from uh, Baltimore to Portland. Mm-hmm. What drove the move? Question one. And two, how was that transition, both musically as an artist and just as, as a person coming to Portland, Maine? Um, yep. Um, so in New York, I was living with uh, Kimberly, who is my wife now and was my girlfriend at the time. And we both had this sense of like, we're kind of in a rut. Like we yeah. need to get out of this rut. Um, so we bought a van and um, we lived in the van and we traveled and lived in the van for maybe half a year or something like that. And that was diving deep into some strange fears because um, I didn't, at that point, I had always lived in a city. Um, I had I'd lived in Baltimore. I lived in New York City. I didn't even understand what was in between the cities. Hardly, oh, you know what I mean. Wow, this, I know that feeling of finding the Midwest or finding right. places that you just hadn't and it's, had been exposed to. It was jarring. It was there was definitely fear of like the emptiness, you know. And um, that was that was really in a way for me the beginning of a long transition um, that later led to the Tai Chi and that stuff, yeah. but. Um, of of taking this little, you know, brain that was in this kernel and cracking the kernel open and like you know opening. Amazing man. Um, 
when you got to Portland, because I mean, there's probably a million stories we should cover about being on the road. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it, actually, let's not skip it. Is there one for? Is there one thing? One memory? If you know, you know how you have a period in your life, and there's like maybe one thing you can pull from that whole road journey mm. that you would pull that was in a moment of interaction with, with fear that either helped or hindered where you are today. Yeah. Um, I mean. I think for me, what stands out from that time, I feel really guilty about that trip because I think that um, Kim was in a much more advanced stage of that stuff than I was. And um, she could have had interesting adventures that I was sort of unable to like get there to. And so a lot of that trip for me in my mind is about the conflict that we were having and how we got past it. You know what I mean? Um, But uh, we we joke about it now about how we'd be like in the middle of Wyoming and getting in an argument and we'd be like, all right, I'm leaving. You take the van. No, you take the van. You know, and it's like here we are. Like we don't even. Know. So anyway, we we were in this weird circumstance. We stuck together. Um, we we made it through that difficult period, and um, I'm very 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 happy that we did. Amazing. So when you got to Portland, what were your first? What drove you to Portland? What were your first thoughts of Portland? Because it's such a cool city. Yeah, it's, it's great. Such a crazy cool city. Yeah. And then how did you integrate into making music here and just kind of kind of being on the east end of Portland? Yeah, so um, so I wanted to move to Portland. Um, Kim had grown up in Maine, and I had seen Portland, and I was like, that place is really cool. Small, it's like right by the, the ocean. At the time, it was, you know, to get into gentrification again, it was totally ungentrified. It was just like a working-class city, and I thought it was really cool. And Kim at first was hesitant because it was so close to where she came from, but then yeah. we, we decided to come here and it was um it was just awesome from from the beginning you know i got into a electrician apprenticeship met a bunch of people and um i actually met met musicians in portland because of connections from my earlier band right. and you mm-hmm. know stuff like that so there was already this this community of musicians here that that i quickly became integrated into i remember that community i, re- I remember just being on the fringes of it being blown away just getting a hang with it it was like just hanging yeah. with like superstars to me you know what i mean yeah and like I, I, one one memory from that period, um, when you think about fear and nuances, I remember throwing you threw Kim a surprise party, and when, and I remember all of us there was like we were all hiding behind that couch in the North Street apartment, yeah. and I think we all had fear because we're like what are we doing, <laughs> and then Kim had fear because she had worked like this long day on a you know on a, boat, on a yeah. ship and she came in and it was like this interaction of exchanged fear yeah yeah and yeah. then we got to like celebrate her um, yeah. or it was her getting her captain's license right? yes that's, that's what, what it was, was. Yeah. yeah fantastic yeah um, highlights from the Portland music scene because you've collaborated with some amazing people you've done some amazing solo stuff you're doing awesome stuff with snakes right now mm-hmm. um so um, there was a house when I first moved here. There was this band called Cerberus Shoal that was playing, and this they is, all kind of yeah. lived in a house together. And I was <clears> up there and right? out. Yep. Yeah. And Cerberus Shoal was a really awesome band, very interesting, um, and they were cool to hang hang around with. And there was a guy also who was living at that house named Micah Blue Smalldone, who um, is an incredible musician. Yeah, um, Micah is an incredible. Yeah. Incredible songwriter, and guitar player. Yeah, we've we played a lot together and. Um, yeah, and so and then one of the people who was also in Cerberus Show was Chris Sutherland, who mm-hmm. had a solo career himself, and then we decided to come together and, and play together, and that's what formed Snakes. Very, very cool. Yeah, I remember hanging with you and Micah once in the South Portland house. And mm-hmm. again, it just felt like hanging out with giants, you know, because I mm-hmm. loved your music so much. Mm-hmm. And then not that long after that, I remember you and I in a duel, in a duel to race our rusty... 
single speed bikes around Back Cove. Yeah. And yeah. I think you'd stayed out late with Micah, and I mm-hmm. probably stayed out late. And I remember yeah. us meeting at like dawn. Yeah. Right? Do you remember? That was, um, it was the whole thing was a blur now. Yeah. I remember it. I remember it pretty well. Yeah, you were in a really different place in your life then. I was in a different place. I remember um, we had this like death race around Back Cove, which was probably scarier for the pedestrians. <laughs> it was probably, right? I wasn't scared. I don't yeah. know if you were scared. Nah. We were probably still both sleepy and yeah. wondering why we were doing this. Yeah. But the people, yeah. they, they put up with it. And yeah. then we both like smoked top tobacco. I think <laughs> <laughs> we're, our hearts were ready to burst out of our chest. Yeah. And never do yeah. that again. We have to do that again. Yeah, we should. It'll, It'll be a different yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, one of the biggest, you know, transitions that I you know you get to watch like you pointed out you get to watch your friends grow yeah you've seen me go through a lot of stages and I've yeah. seen you and I think one of the most formative transitions or powerful transitions I should say is just mm-hmm. watching you transition and get into the Tai Chi mm-hmm. and build that into this entire lifestyle and philosophy and, and I'd love to hear about how you got from kind of the punk rock scene mm-hmm. into this world of movement and Tai Chi and, and what that process has been like for you yeah, so the the first thing that happened really that set me on that road was um, when we were traveling and we were living in the van. Um, we were in California, and we stayed with a friend of Kim who had just come back from China, and she was studying acupuncture. So um, my eyes were kind of bothering me. I was driving a lot, and she said, "Oh, I'll stick some needles in you." And I was kind of like, "Oh, yeah, whatever." You know, I thought in my mind at that time, acupuncture was like you know pseudoscience mysticism. I didn't. I, I was very materialistic, you know, kind of guy. Um, but I, I said, I'll just, I'll let him do it, you know, whatever. And I laid down and I think she put only like two or three needles in me. And I started laughing and crying. I felt a physical sensation of energy flowing through my body. Um, the needles were quivering, you know? So it was like this moment where I was like, okay, my conception of the world does not include this. So my conception of the world is wrong because I'm experiencing this moments. Yeah. That's incredible, man. What, what a powerful moment that must've been. Yeah. You know, there's a saying, I forget where it came from, and you and I have talked about it a little bit, but the idea that everything becomes its opposite. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, I look for that now. Yeah. And I, of course, because I look for it, I see it. Yeah. But yeah. when I met you, I could never have pictured at the time you just kind of doing Qigong or something under a tree on the prom yeah. for hours in the morning. And Yeah, it's not where I came from. Yeah. It's not where I came from. But anyway, so, I, you know, I, I was like, I have to sort of, you know, deal with the fact that there's something going on here that I was not aware of, sure. you know what I mean? But I sort of put it on the shelf for a while, and then there was a time when I was out of work. Um, when you work construction, you get laid off from time to time. And um, and Kim suggested, oh, you should check out a Tai Chi class. Um, you know, and I had grown up, like maybe you did, watching kung fu movies on TV with my brother when I was a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. So you just have this idea in your mind and yeah. of it being cool, you know. Like mm-hmm. I was very into the Wu-Tang Clan, you know. And yeah, so, totally. So there's this whole thing there already, you know. <clears throat> but anyway, so I went to a Tai Chi class and it was like instant, you know, I was like, this is this is it for me. Really, it was. You know? It was that instantaneous. Right away. Yep. And and part of it, again, for me is that I hadn't done any practice like that before. Yeah. It, it wasn't like a lot of people who had dabbled in yoga or this or that. I had never done anything like it. And so the, the mind-body connection stuff was really, like, new to me and really exciting. And and so then, you know, from from getting into that physical practice, then I, you know, started reading, you know, to see where it came from. And I started reading these old Taoist um, books. Oh, man. And some good stuff there. Yeah. But when I, I remember reading them and thinking, I disagree with what they're saying. 
But I think they're right. <laughs> God, man, I love that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, love I was that. like, no, this. I disagree with this, but, but I'm probably wrong. <laughs> I'm on you know? the wrong side of this belief. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, you and I talked to, on the way over a little bit about beliefs. Yeah. You know, what is true in the world and what is a belief? Yeah. And yeah. and the, the you know maybe the the clarity to work to learn the difference. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah, it's amazing coming across an entire belief system. Yeah. And looking, being able to look at it first objectively, yeah, and maybe even cynically because it creates a, a dissonance. Yeah, I want yeah. to not believe this. Right. But, oh, but it sounds really, really, good, yeah. you know, sensible <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Were you scared going to that first class? Was there any fear into integrating into that totally new, yeah, new environment? Definitely. And um, I mean, I think uh, it's anytime you you go to check out something new, like with other people, it's scary. It's scary to put yourself out there, to put yourself in that environment, you know, that you're not comfortable with, um, and. And yeah, it took some pushing for me to to do that. And every step of the way with with Tai Chi has been um, not. It's like I don't realize I'm scared of something, but then really I am. You know, right. I started it as a solo um, practice of moving my body. Then I got into doing it the more martial aspect of it, and and I was scared of that at first. But then, you know, you get into it more, and then you know, it finally got to the point where I. Um, you know, where it became a practice that I do every day with mm-hmm. um, breathing and mind stuff, you know, and, and um, yeah, having a teacher and a practice and everything like that. What are the carryovers from the world of being on stage, being a performer, and even just like the diligence of meeting people to record to get something done? Mm-hmm. Where did that carry over into your Tai Chi practice? And where did the Tai Chi carry over into your now getting on stage mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a present state? What yeah, other carryovers between both worlds. There's a lot. Um, so when you learn to play music, like you know, the the really the the most important thing is just repetition. It's just you know, if you want to play the guitar, just play the guitar all the time. Play mm-hmm. the guitar a lot every day. You know, it's that simple. And um, you, but you're not going to do it unless you enjoy it. Yeah. If you try to force yourself to play the guitar every day, it's really not going to happen. You mm-hmm. know, so you have to enjoy it and you have to do it all the time. And so it's the same thing with Tai Chi practice, like. Uh, you know, I found quickly in the classes that I was in that most of the other people, they come, they show up for the class, they try it out, but they're not doing it at home. You know what I mean? And they're mm-hmm. not, you yeah, know, it's so yeah. it's like if you, and it was the same thing with music. There's a lot of people who kind of like music, who kind of like playing with the guitar, but there's certain people that are going to take it home and they're going to start a band and they're going to start often, writing right? songs, and, yeah. you know? And so yeah. it was the same thing with me. I practice a lot, you know, and, and it's not like I practice because I'm like, I'm going to make myself practice. It's just, I like it, you know, I like practicing that's, a lot. That's amazing. And yeah. you do something a lot and you get good at it, you know? Well, I've always been, I've always, so I've always had a fear. So I, I've had a fear watching music mm. because I can't understand how you remember the lyrics mm. at all. Yeah. And so there's this constant beautiful tension in music. Yeah. Right? It's like watching, you know, it's probably a terrible analogy, but if you watch somebody do comedy or something improv, the tension is beautiful. Yeah. Do you, for, first of all, how the hell do you remember all those words? Um, <laughs> and second of all, do you feel fear about mistakes? Mm. Does that, is that ever a fear? Like, I'm going to mess this up. I used to be really scared of mistakes, mm-hmm. and um, it really used to bother me when I made mistakes or even other people in the band made mistakes. Um, and I started to, to chill about that a little bit when I realized that nobody in the audience really notices most of the time because right. they're not paying as much attention, no idea. you know, yeah. and they just don't know what it's supposed to do. And yeah. um, But now I, I'm kind of happy when mistakes happen because yeah. a lot of times they spark creative, you know, interaction with that mistake, and mm-hmm. um, I enjoy it. Um, 
but you know it's definitely so in terms of remembering the lyrics though um i wrote the lyrics and when i wrote the lyrics it came from a deep deep place in my consciousness and so when i sing the lyrics i'm going back to that place so my conscious mind that's at the at the upper level is not involved really um it's it's coming from a, a deeper place and i don't have to worry about it because i don't have any control over it that's know? beautiful that's but i was fantastic. i was thinking recently someone was telling me about a movie um that came out about i think it was glenn campbell and he was performing after he had alzheimer's and he was his he couldn't really function that well in in life but they would push him out on stage and he'd do his songs and he could always remember how wow. to do them and i was thinking about how it's like when you're a musician you're kind of been training for that your whole life because you might be performing a song like a lot of musicians they might be drinking they might be on drugs mm-hmm. they right. might be you right. know these, yeah. but they they go to that place where the song comes from and it's not the conscious mind it's that's something incredible. else you know that's a question i've always wanted to ask yeah um how has has Tai Chi informed your performances. Like yeah. When you're on stage now, Big time. having this life practice around Tai Chi, how has it made you different as a musician or approached your craft differently? Yeah, so um, it's I have a lot more clarity to what's going on, those different layers of consciousness, mm-hmm. you know, so like I don't get nervous about it, you know, on, uh, you know, on, a, on a rational level. I accept a lot of, of, of Taoist practice and Tai Chi practice is like letting go, accepting things, you know, so... Yeah. Um, as a performer, that's that's invaluable because you can just let go. Like it's going to be what it is. And if you if you're going into a performance with an idea in your mind of this is what it's going to sound like or this is what I want it to sound like, you're always going to be disappointed because it's never going to sound like that. So if you go into it thinking I'm going to look forward to seeing what, how it sounds, you know, I'm going to accept it and you know I'm going to interact with it, then you're much 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 better off. I love it. Yeah. When is the last time that you could remember that you went into a place of fear on purpose in order to learn? Like, I'm going to go into a scary place, and I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to learn something here. Mm-hmm. I try to do it as often as I can, yeah. you know? Um, like, uh, I don't know how to say this, but I was just sitting listening to another <clears throat> po- podcast that, that David recorded, and I feel kind of silly talking about it compared to some other people other people put themselves in, in much more intense environments than I do. So, I, you know, I, I really like to experiment with fear. Mm-hmm. But when I think about what I do to experiment with fear, it's kind of low level. You know what well, I mean? I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I, could, I could talk about a couple of nights just um, in general yeah. that I could think of that may have been consequential. But... Um, you know, I, I, you are one of the most game people I've ever met. Meaning, yeah. like, hey, let's just let's do something new. Yeah. And and I've always, whenever you suggest something to somebody mm-hmm. in life, they lean in or lean away, yeah. or they don't lean at all. They don't care. It was yeah. unmoved. Yeah. But you've always been somebody where, with almost any provocation on either end, which is why we've had a really, really, really interesting relationship uh-huh. to do something new. Yeah. I've always seen you're somebody whose eyes light up. Yeah. Like, what are we going to find there? You yeah, know? totally. Yeah. And I, I remember our conversation. I have to share this one. I remember, I don't know who asked who, have you ever hopped a freight train? Mm. One of, we had the conversation, have you ever hopped a freight train? And there are a few people who would have been together at Rigby Yard, like 6 a.m. behind like a bush, <laughs> right? <laughs> Trying to make this epic adventure happen. And there yeah. was so much about that adventure. Yeah. In terms of fear and and consequence yeah in that did you so we end up on a freight train we're heading yeah. to somewhere maybe it's rumford maybe it's boston 
We were aiming for for Massachusetts. <laughs> you were aiming for Lewiston. You were aiming for Massachusetts. I think so. Anyway, we had poor communication. We, was, only we didn't one get of us out of the yard succeed. anyway. <laughs> but but ultimately, when the train stopped, when, yeah. when our big journey began, yeah, and then it stopped. Yeah. In that moment, there's so much to be said and probably delved into about like. Yeah. It, relief yeah like oh that's over like we we did the good the hard work and now we're safe again yeah right. we're not vulnerable we're not in mass or lewiston or whatever right. we had to get back from yeah and that idea of why do we even take adventures yeah what are we really looking for there yeah that's a that's a great question so why did we hop on a freight train uh, probably because we maybe recognize that only one other person would say let's do it tomorrow and both of us did and so we're like this is the chance yeah you know I think that there are buses that pass yeah you know what I mean yeah and we haven't done it I haven't done it since have you no I wish I had (laughs) (laughs) post script check the post transcript of this episode (laughs) right this afternoon we immediately left and now we're in Mass Rumford or Lewiston, Maine yeah but yeah, I mean, I think, so in terms of life decisions, bigger life decisions, mm-hmm. I've, I've always tried to seek out, like, I, I try not to just go the safe route, you know, and um, like some, my job that I have right now, I work at a wastewater treatment plant, mm-hmm. and um, I remember when I start, started getting into that, it, it's disgusting, you know what I mean? You're in a place full of raw sewage, mm-hmm. but, you know, you can approach it like, um, like, oh, that's gross, I want to stay away from it, or you can approach it like... I want to see what this feels like. I want to see what happens when I put myself in this situation. And then once you've done it, it's so much easier to handle any other situation. You know, you know? I think that's going to be a commonality on the, you know, on the show where you hear a lot of the folks that we're, that we're talking about this with is like, face a hard thing. Yeah. Face a hard thing and everything else yeah. is easier. Totally. And you go to those yeah. places and you yeah. learn there, you know, and you yeah. and I had one of the best. So I'm going to share another David and Chris moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that possibly the bridal party at the spa remembers. <laughs> we, we, we transitioned from the freight yard of South Portland to yeah. a spa in Portland. Yeah. And there's like a bridal party going on or something. And I, for some reason, we were actually, we were talking about raw sewage mm. in a steam room. Yeah. Because I, I, we had a commonality is when I first got to Maine myself, I, ended, I was a septic system installation worker. Yeah. And I remember the exact same experience yeah. where somebody told me, they said, this is a job with the plumbers. Give it mm-hmm. great. I had done some plumbing, and I said, oh, great, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they started asking me these really interesting questions that made me believe that this was a unique plumbing job. You yeah, know? right. And then before you know it, you're standing about a foot deep in sewage. Yeah. And at first, it's this gut reaction. Yeah. And then it's this idea that, like, it was just, like, the most zen moment ever. Yeah. Like, it's all, like, it's one cookie factory. Yeah, right. And there's just diff- different shapes of cookies. Totally. Everything's yeah. the same. Everything's yeah. one thing. Nothing's yeah. different, right? And yeah. you're like, wow. You, it's like the moment of enlightenment is standing yeah. in this pile. And totally, going, yeah. This isn't absolutely. better or worse than anything else. Yeah, totally It would only true. be a belief attached to it that would make it so. Yep, yep. Oh. And there's a pleasure that you can get from the investigation of that. Oh, and, God, yes. And I experienced that with pain, too. Like, if, if you whack me in the face like you know before I would have been like ow like I don't like that you know that's pain but now I'm like ah interesting like now I get a chance here's my opportunity to see what that's like and like does it come in waves does it you know does it feel sharp does it feel you know there's there's all kinds of it's it's material for investigation you know what a what a 
skill set to build. Yeah. You know, we hear people in the gym environment and they use terms like pain. It still happens at the gym. You know, people are like, oh, this one's going to hurt. You talk about a workout. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I don't ever think about things like that. Yeah. Only in that there's going to be varied levels of intensity. Yeah. And why not go to intense places? Yeah. Totally. I don't ever, I never yeah. approach a workout. I coach our athletes not to approach a workout like, oh, this is going to hurt. Yeah. This is going to, you're going to feel something. Yeah. In yeah. cold water we feel, in hot water we feel. Yeah. Um, and the idea that there's different layers of investigation is just yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's, an, I think, an interesting distinction between the path that you're on and the path that I'm on is that um, the intensity, like, um, I think the intensity is, is really important and I like to, to dig into it. But I also really feel strongly that, um, that I like slow growth. You know, yes. mm-hmm. and and I'm not saying that that's better than your way at all. It's just a different path to be on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's just like with with growing food. You know, you can make food grow really fast by putting some chemical fertilizers <clears throat> on it, absolutely. But you can also let it grow slowly. Um, you know, and and so for me, um, in my interaction with fear, but also in my practice, the different practices I do in life. I am always thinking about slow organic growth and and watching it and being patient with it. And, you know, um, yeah. I remember you and I having that conversation as we were exchanging practices. I had, you know, some very, very, very minimal, especially compared to absolutely legendary uh, Sean Durfee, who was just on the show. Yeah. Background in jiu-jitsu was nothing to even... But enough that I, I, I was enamored by it, enough yeah. that I'd come in and train every day, and I was trying to show you some things that I'd learned and things you were showing me things that you learned in push hands. And it was just yeah. so cool to watch. Yeah, d- different speeds, or I don't know yeah. if they're speeds. Yeah. Right? It's really kind of hard to, to, to label. Yeah. Different approaches. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and yeah. one approach that was always mesmerizing to me in a, in a, in a different way was the Qigong practice that you were mm-hmm. part of. Yeah. Because, like, I'm, I'm always bouncing around walls, and I thought, right. you developed this practice of standing mm-hmm. on the Eastern Prom for upwards of how long? What, what like was an, hour high, like an hour. An hour of, of standing. Of just standing and, in one posture, yeah. So And breathing? I, I think a, a part of that? Yeah, breathing's a part of it, too. Um, it's, it's sort of two separate things, the breathing and the body. But... Um, it's a really interesting thing to dig into is um, intensity, seeking intensity to experience fear. But then there's also like a really deep fear of stillness. Oh, absolutely. And a fear absolutely. of silence and, um, and a fear even of um, when, when you get into this stuff, when you, when you stand in one posture for a long time, you almost feel like your body is completely permeable, you know, like, am I even here? You know, mm-hmm. like there's, and you start to question what is the boundary between myself and my environment, you know, and those kind of thoughts, like it's, it's one thing to talk about them intellectually, but to actually feel them is a little bit terrifying, you know? And I think that a lot of people that seek intense experience do it out of a fear of stillness. Out of stillness. Yeah. No, I, I would, I would hundred percent agree with that. And I think, you know, for for me personally, the perf- the breathing work that we've integrated mm-hmm. has helped find, and for, for a lot of our people at the play at the distance project, this balance. You know, where you're so tuned into your breath that you can be present in higher levels of intensity. Yeah, and it just it was like it was game changing in that like this is happening. It's this big explosive workout versus like a one hour standing meditation. So different. Yeah, but without one being better or worse and just being different. Yeah. How present can we be in either? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. could I be in a standing practice trying to escape the presence? Yeah. And thinking about the 
lunch break later or the thing or the phone call? Mm-hmm. And can I be in this high-intensity flurry and be so caught in the arena yeah. that I'm not in the stands yeah. and I, I miss it? You know what I mean? Totally, yeah. In, in Tai Chi, they say seek stillness and movement and seek movement in stillness. So, like, when you're, when you're standing, you know, you're, you're looking at, well, how am I not still? What is, there's, there's so much activity going on internally. And then when you're moving, you know, you're, you're looking for the stillness that's implicit in the, in the movement. And so, like you were saying about, you know, opposites or, mm-hmm. you know, polarities, you know, yeah. it's, it's like playing, playing with that interplay of polarities. Where does fear lure you? Because sometimes fear will, like, beckon me. Like, a thing will beckon me. Yeah. And maybe it's, it's travel, and maybe it's racing again. Maybe it's whatever it is. It'll kind of, like, beckon. Yeah. And you can't go to every place that it beckons, but right. is fear beckoning you anywhere right now? Yeah, man. It's, uh... So, martial arts in particular, um, I am just a, a minor dabbler in martial arts, mm-hmm. you know? I don't... I'm not a fighter or anything like that, but um, the experience of that kind of interaction with another human being is very compelling to me and I really like I, I seek it out and, and yeah. I enjoy playing with it because of the fear I think a lot that's involved in it um, and, the, and I think another big thing is like um, thinking about the natural world mm-hmm. um, like I said I grew up a very urban kind of guy and so um, thinking about the environmental crisis that the earth is in right now and thinking about how I relate to it and being real about the steps that need to get taken on that level and the attention that needs to get paid to, you know, natural systems um, is terrifying to me. But I, I am really attracted to that, too. I love it. Um, a question I ask everybody, and it's kind of a, just a big, wide question you can answer any way that you want, mm-hmm. is if you had no fear in your life right now, Fear didn't exist. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Um, I think um, it's hard to say because I don't think I make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I think um, I have an illusion that I make decisions, and I think that maybe that's an illusion that we all need to cling to 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 function in the world. But um, I don't really think that I'm deciding what I'm doing in life. And um, if I was deciding, then maybe it would have something to do with fear. But I don't think it's really like that. And I think, um, you know, the fear that I'm experiencing, that's my um, sort of small-minded way to be able to talk about a process that's much, much bigger, right? I think there's there's forces that are, that are compelling me in certain directions, mm-hmm. and and they're very big and hard for me to understand and um i can talk about them in terms of fear because it's a it's a smaller it's little a thing i can yeah bite yeah. you know and chew yeah. you know and understand but so what would i be doing without fear is it's that's a that's a question for the universe not for me <laughs> I, love, brother, I love it i love it yeah. um for the audience for people listening I'm going to throw out some questions that just came to my mind in terms of ways that people can explore your work more because we can talk for days mm-hmm. and days and days and days. Yeah. And, and and if you go to the East End of Portland, you can catch Chris Find and talk me. to him. He's yeah. going to be, he may be doing some Tai Chi and he's like, yo, this is not a great time to talk. I'm doing some quiet work right now. But if people could, and this is probably going to sound like a stupid question, mm. but if people could take three or four or five songs that you've written yeah. That would allow them to get to know you the deepest. Mm. Could you pick a little small handful? People go on the internet and say, I'm going to scour and pick this little handful of songs right. that you feel like you, you, you've created that would give people a deeper insight into who you 
are. That's cool. Um, so um, I have been a lot of different people in my life, like everybody has. Oh, yeah. So if you, <clears throat> if you want to know where I'm at now, you got to listen to the music that I'm making relatively recently. Because the music that I made in the past, I was a different guy that mm-hmm. did that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so my band that I'm in now, which is called Snakes, um, is definitely expressing where I'm at in the world right now. And there's a couple songs that come to my mind. Um, there's one called The Most High. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that I do one. Know, but, yeah, no, um, I follow your stuff. So deep. Yeah, The Most High, I think, is, is, is pretty key. There's one called The Cutworm and the Plow. That's a beautiful song. Um, that I think really expresses something. Um, but the one that I would look to right now there's a video that Snakes made for the song called Give Up the Ghost. And That's a beautiful song. Give Up the Ghost, I think, if you if you dig into it, um, there's different layers of, of meaning there that, again, I didn't consciously plan, but that's <laughs> they're the, there. That's you know? the beauty. Yeah. 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 I mean, me and you are both big fans of Bob Dylan. We're huge fans of Dylan, and I feel yeah. like you can unpack a song for 10 years. Yeah. Totally. You know, and, yeah. and, and your music is very very much like that. I don't think I've ever heard one of your songs and not gained something new. Thank and you. That, that's a real rare and beautiful skill. So like when you hear that song Give Up the Ghost, what do you what's it about for you? You know, I I I can't process songs that way. Yeah. I first have to try to get a sense of what the song is because I understand that songs aren't written um it, um how do I say this like they're they're big mysterious boxes mm. you know they're big mysterious boxes and you yeah. can get it first you get it on the sub layer yeah. then you get it on the next layer yeah. and then you listen to it again and then you get a sense of what it was maybe to some micro degree yeah. and then you ask how does it interrelate because I'll listen to any song yeah. one year and it means something different the next year it means something different yeah. so I, I could almost think about the first glimpse into that box mm-hmm. and how that changes and yeah. how that evolves um and I would encourage everybody here. I'm gonna this. I know we can put a link to. Yeah, we can go to YouTube and Google. Um, Google. We can go to YouTube and put in snakes. Give up the ghost. Because I don't would, think you it's would, on YouTube. It's on Vimeo. It's on Vimeo. Okay, yeah. cool. Go, yeah. go to Vimeo. Go to yeah. Vimeo and check that out. And check out the stuff that. Do you guys have a new record coming out? You and snakes. So we're recording one. Um, we're we're about to record a new batch of songs. Um, so it's not ready yet. But there's we we put out albums pretty regularly. So the last yeah. couple of mm-hmm. of albums are are out there. Um, yeah, and they're expressing where I'm at for sure. They're incredible. Um, Thank you. Are you playing anywhere local lately? Or anywhere at all? Um, yeah, we, we just played a whole string of shows. We've been playing a couple at, there's a place called the Ephodian that is like the last place in Portland that feels like that the underground that we were talking about before. The Ephodian is absolutely right on place to go. Are you playing? Um, we have played there recently. We don't have one coming up. Um, okay. We have a couple coming up. There's, we're playing in Whitefield, which I don't even know where that is. Nice. <laughs> nice, nice. And I think we're playing um, at Oxbow, which is on the east end of Portland, Maine, but I don't have the date right now. Will so. you guys play the Distance Project again? Oh, yeah. We can get a show going on up there, man. That would be great. That'd be super, super fun. Yeah. I'd like to play while people are working out. Would you? Yeah. Um, would you play really slow stuff? As a, as like a sort of a challenge, or would you play the kind of like uh, like more punked out? I don't old think school Baltimore, Chris. I don't think we could do that. Throwing down weights and stuff. Yeah, I think crazy. no. I think we I think we'd play stuff so that people could, um, you know, have some inner contemplation going on while they're 
lifting weights <laughs> and stuff like that. Would you compose a song for people to work out to oh, yeah. as an additional challenge to yeah. embrace in the workout? That's a, that's a good idea. One that starts and it stops at the worst, you know what I mean, at the worst possible times. <laughs> you know, because wh- when I hear... When I hear any hip hop artist that we'll often listen to, mm-hmm. and I hear some two and a half minute skit, yeah, all I think is, do you even lift? Do you, you know what I mean? Like, do you like? <laughs> don't you realize that there was a rhythm going on? And I get it, I get what you're doing yeah. here, but people were, were jiving to it. Yeah. But maybe we can interject something like that. You know, actually, now that, that I think about it, yeah, we'd have to play back. something different. Yeah, I think what we'd have to do is just jam. Have you ever heard? Do you know the band Oneida? Yeah, you, you put me on to Oneida. So yeah. Oneida has has a way of establishing a rhythm that is like very, um, it trips over itself, but it's very steady. And mm-hmm. um, I would love to do some jams that are like Oneida while people are, are doing the work. Could it have like a Godspeed, you Black Emperor type crescendo <laughs> at some point, but at yeah. the wrong point? <laughs> like, so in the warm-ups, things peak to this yeah, like right. boiling point and, and then it only falls like a million stars really <laughs> quietly during the height of the like, intensity yeah that's well, an interesting thing to explore but you know i've thought a lot about like what's what is the purpose of different kinds of music and could yeah. i do music that's like hip-hop that you listen to um a lot in the gym it's is what i listen i listen to mostly hip-hop and reggae is yeah. what i listen to you put mostly. me on some great artists i mean you put me on so, some really incredible artists uh, who are you listening to right now in, on all scopes, like who, who goes in the CD player or on the ride or whatever it is. So um, there's a main rapper named Milo that I've been listening to mm-hmm. a lot. Um, he's a younger guy. Um, he's just really interesting rapper. Um, but I listen to a ton of reggae, and I listen to mostly reggae from the 70s. Um, it's for me, it's like a kind of spiritual sustenance, you know. Yeah. For whatever reason, um, the Rasta kind of approach to spirituality speaks to me and also to my family so we listen to it a lot and um, I think we, we connect to it on some level like that who was the last reggae person you put me on to War in a Babylon was the record Max Romeo Max Romeo yeah. check that out everybody listening Max yeah. Romeo for sure what was the yeah. song that you put me on to it was there's one that <sighs> the one that I love right now is called Uptown Babies Don't Cry that was what it was Uptown yeah. Babies Don't Cry uh, yeah, you put such me on a that. good wow, song amazing song yeah. yeah my kids my poor kids are like daddy are we Uptown Babies <laughs> <laughs> So before yeah. we sign out, check out all of Chris's stuff on on Snakes um, Company, Chris and Stephanie. Um, come see him when he plays at the Distance Project. See him when he plays locally. Find him in the East End. And we're going to raffle off a ticket right now to join us on our next freight train ride. <laughs> so one person listening, you just you DM us yeah, right. on Instagram right. and say, God, and it's going to be one person that DMs us on Instagram. You know? <laughs> we won't have to choose. If you do it right now, if you DM us on Instagram, you will be the one. Yeah. I guarantee one person. Ready. Whenever, like, you really go. Good. Whenever you want to go. Whenever you want to go, I'm and ready. It, it'll push us into the next fear environment in our lives because yeah. we'll be back, but as different people yeah. in the same train yard, yeah. on that same lone box car going we gotta the same it. direction, which we was either north it. or south. Yeah, we got to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Brother, such an honor to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much.